Do you not want to work with certain races of people? Well, great news. LinkedIn will now allow users to filter job applicants by their race. LinkedIn users can now search for applicants of a preferred race, sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The new feature is part of LinkedIn's diversity in recruiting tools, meaning that the intention of the tool is not, as some might worry, to discriminate against black people or Hispanic people or trans-identifying people or LGB-identifying people or any other supposedly marginalized group. On the contrary, the tool is designed to designate in favor of all those groups. If an employer ever discriminated against those groups, he would be hauled into court. He would likely lose his business. If, on the other hand, he used the tool as it is intended and discriminated on behalf of those groups against all the other groups, white people, straight people, and so on, he would be applauded by our culture and political class, which is why I can't muster very much outrage at LinkedIn for this move. Yes, this kind of discrimination is ugly and unjust, but that is not LinkedIn's fault. LinkedIn is just following the unjust laws that the libs have enshrined. Changing some feature on the least important social media network is not going to do much of anything. If you don't like this injustice, the only solution that will actually fix the problem is to change the law. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, In just a moment, we will have a really important story coming out of a Washington middle school in which teachers and students are licking opposite sides of a pane of glass and slurping up whipped cream as part of some kind of lesson. I don't, I th- the real lesson is that COVID's over, I guess, but we, we will get to that in just one second as the sexualization of young school children continues. First though, back on this racial politics stuff. Did you know that Netflix is making a docudrama about Cleopatra? Well, that doesn't seem particularly unusual. Cleopatra is a very important historical figure. What's strange about the docudrama is that they've decided to cast a black woman as Cleopatra. The docudrama is called African Queens, Queen Cleopatra. And so I I can understand you you hear African and some people who don't know about the history of Africa, the difference between North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, you might think, well, African, that must mean that she's African. But Cleopatra very much was not African. She was Macedonian Greek. This is not particularly controversial, (laughs) and they cast a black actress to play her. This is not complicated. This is just about antipathy toward white people. A while ago, there was a conservative who posted on Twitter and said that Daily Wire's new movie project was going to be a biography, a biopic of Malcolm X, and it was going to star me. And everyone laughed because that would be ridiculous. I don't think that I'm going to be playing Malcolm X I don't think that uh, Ryan Gosling is going to be playing Martin Luther King Jr. anytime soon. If this happened, not only would people laugh at it, but of course there would be a national uproar. Film studios would shut down. People would burn effigies and set the country on fire. And in the other direction, it, it doesn't matter. This isn't hypocrisy. This is just antipathy toward white people in our culture. 
You see this enshrined in the law. White people are basically the only group, though Asians fall into it a little bit too, of, of people against whom you can discriminate on the basis of race. That's true in college admissions. That's true in employment. And it's true in our popular culture. White people are the only race that you are encouraged to insult and make fun of and deride. It's not only acceptable, but actually encouraged in our culture. And that's just the way it is. And that's what this is about. This is why Cleopatra can be played by a black woman, but I will not be able to play Malcolm X in the new biopic. This is not to say that you can never have any race bending in movies. A great example of, I I felt, perfectly suitable race bending was the Denzel Washington Macbeth movie, which is one of maybe the greatest performance of Macbeth I've ever seen. And the reason this was, I felt totally fine, is because we're not talking about a history here. We're not talking about a biopic or a docudrama. We're talking about a very famous play. We're talking about Shakespeare, who, who is the most important playwright in the English language. And one of the aspects of Shakespeare that, that has made him so important is that he writes about the human experience. And so while there are different races of people in his plays, that's secondary to what he's saying about human nature. The other reason it didn't really matter all that much is Denzel is just such an incredible actor that I just want to see the guy play Macbeth. He's just a very, very good actor. And it wasn't distracting, and in no way did this casting decision detract from the play. Here, we're talking about not only an historical figure, but a docudrama. So if you (laughs) know you're just completely rewriting history, which is what the libs do all the time. We're going to need to tell each other about real history, okay? We're going to need to talk about it. When you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, use promo code Knowles. Tax season is here. You want to make your accountant happy? I got one super easy way to do it. Switch to Pure Talk. Instead of paying a fortune to Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data starting at just 30 bucks a month and saving the average family over $900 a year. A lot of people think the bigger the provider, the better the service. Let me fill you in on a little secret. Pure Talk uses the same network. I'm not saying a comparable network. I'm saying the exact same network for less. There's no contract, no hidden fees, no hassle. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Their U.S.-based customer service team, worth the switch just for the U.S.-based customer service team. Make that switch really, really easy. Pure Talk's so Sure, you're going to love the service. They're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com. Enter promo code Knowles to save 50% off your first month. puretalk.com, promo code Knowles. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Speaking of more racial politics, leftist Congress lady Pramila Jayapal. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but there it goes. A Congresswoman Jayapal is arguing for U.S. amnesty for millions of illegal aliens. Millions, really probably tens of millions of illegal aliens. And what's her argument? Why do we need to give a bunch of foreign nationals who are in our country illegally, why do we need to give them amnesty? Well, she says, America needs immigrants in order to survive. Quote, immigrants pick the food we eat, clean our homes. She goes on to list a number of other service industry jobs. And you hear this line all the time. These are the two most shallow left-wing arguments on immigration. They'll say, well, without immigration, you couldn't get tacos. 
<laughs> Could you imagine a world without Chinese food? That's why we need to open up our borders and flood our country with 3 million foreigners every year. <laughs> well, we can welcome some people in with just completely opening our borders. I think we've got enough taco stands. I, I like tacos as much as the next guy. We're good. I think we've saturated the taco market. We don't need to ignore our laws, disrupt our social order, upend our self-governing republic in order to get another taco. I think we're good on that. But then the, the other argument they make is they say, well, there are jobs that Americans won't do. If we don't let desperate foreigners in, who are, who's going to scrub our toilets? Which is offensive to everybody <laughs> because it insinuates that Americans won't clean. Americans are, are a pretty cleanly people. If you've ever traveled to Europe, for instance, you'll notice that Americans are almost neurotically hygienic compared to Europeans, certainly compared to really everybody in the world. I haven't traveled extensively through any other places, so my frame of reference is Europe. But I've heard that China is not the most sanitary place. I did go to India once, not all that clean. I've never been to Africa, but I've heard it's not not the most enjoyable experience when it comes to basic sanitation. So, no, I think Americans, we could clean our own bathrooms if we wanted to. That's not an argument for, for breaking the law. Need them to, to pick our food. I think Americans can pick food. They can do that. But, but then it's offensive in the other way, too, because immigrants, believe it or not, can, can do things other than clean our toilets. Immigrants, even from those poor countries in Latin America or the Middle East or Africa or anywhere else, believe it or not, they're human they can do other jobs. They don't just need to pick grapes and scrub our bathrooms. They can do other things. It's so patronizing, condescending, dehumanizing. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect Democrat political argument because it is deeply offensive to everybody <laughs> and, and not terribly persuasive. Speaking of out-of-touch elites, though, the real breaking news yesterday that, that is causing garments to be rent in, in newsrooms all around the country. It's ca causing gnashing of teeth everywhere in the liberal establishment. They all lost their blue checks yesterday on Twitter. Elon Musk had threatened to take away their blue checks. He said he was going to take them away on 420. It was, kinda, it was just a 420 joke. And then he did it. He followed through. I'm one of those blue checks. I lost my blue check yesterday. And I'm happy about it. I think it's really funny. The outcry of grief from the libs to me is worth the $8 a month that I will have to pay if I want to get my blue check mark back. Now, people are saying that th this is a terrible move by Elon because the point of the blue check mark was to verify people and to protect against uh, stolen identities and uh, imitation of, of public figures. Okay. And now Elon, by turning it into something that you can just pay for, taking it away from notable public figures, he is just destroying Twitter. Up, 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 up. Elon Musk did not destroy the meaning of the blue check mark. The libs at Twitter in the pre-Elon days, they destroyed the meaning of the blue checkmark. The checkmark was called a verification checkmark. But the libs at Twitter, especially around 2016, began to treat the blue checkmark as a, a sign of prestige. 
as a sign of the approval of the liberal establishment. So if someone got a little bit too edgy, they would just take away the check mark. I remember this most clearly with Richard Spencer, who is a white identitarian type. And Richard Spencer, who had a real moment as being the, the most odious figure in American life, and the libs ran all sorts of specials about him, even though he wasn't particularly influential. And he was pretty forthright about his views. He said, I'm a white identitarian. I'm a white identity activist. And he had a check mark because he had some prominence for some time, largely because CNN and the libs made such a big deal about him. And then one day they took away his check mark. They didn't kick him off Twitter. They didn't block his posts. They just removed his check mark. And I thought, what? did he stop being Richard Spencer? Why did he, he's no longer verified as you don't know, did someone hack his account? What do you know? They changed the meaning of the check. And then Elon comes in and mischievous Elon over there takes away their prestige. I just, I love it. I think it's terrific. I, I wasn't planning on paying the $8 for it because I thought, okay, well, I had my, got my blue check a while ago. It was cool. Now I'll lose my blue check. It's fine. I haven't really looked into the extra features that you get if you do pay the 8 bucks. They're probably worth it, $8 a month for a major social media platform, especially if you work in media. It's not, not a big deal. But I've decided I think I am going to pay the $8. And I'm going to pay the $8 for two reasons. One, because the libs have turned the blue check now into a referendum on whether or not you support what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter. And I do support what he's doing at Twitter. I think it's really important and noble of him to do. So I think that's worth $8. Elon Musk doesn't need my $8, but Twitter probably does because it's very hard for Twitter to be profitable. And so if I can show my support of him standing up for traditional standards of speech in America, I'm more than happy to do it. But then the other reason, the more pressing reason as to why I think I'm going to pay my eight bucks, get my blue check mark back, because of what Elon said about aliens. In the great debate here at the Daily Wire between me and Mr. Walsh over the non-existence of aliens, Elon, who, who would know more about aliens than anybody else on earth, he's on Team Knowles. Is that worth eight bucks a month? Yeah, that's worth like 80 bucks a month. Okay, so I will, I, I'll try to get around to it today, but I will get my blue check mark back and that'll make me feel really, really great. Not about being verified or prominent, but about supporting a guy who's doing the right thing for free speech in America and who also realizes that aliens are totally fake. Speaking of big changes to online journalism, BuzzFeed News is shutting down. You're, you're hearing that and you're probably thinking, who cares? I haven't thought about BuzzFeed News in years. I know, neither have I. But people used to talk about BuzzFeed News. Ten years ago, eight, nine, ten years ago, BuzzFeed News was the future of the news. You might remember that BuzzFeed News, or a fictional version of BuzzFeed News, was a major plot point on House of Cards, back when House of Cards was one of the biggest shows in the country. This was going to be the future of journalism. I remember when the Daily Wire started out, we would regularly talk about what success looked like. What if we could become as big as this right-wing blog or this online journal? Or, oh, could you imagine the gold standard would be if we could be BuzzFeed News? Wow, could you imagine? Now BuzzFeed News is gone. Now Daily Wire has blown way past that, thanks to all of you who listen and subscribe. We don't give out blue check marks when you subscribe, but we appreciate your membership uh, in any case. <laughs> but 
Oh, it's much bigger than that now. And BuzzFeed News is gone. Shows you that things can change real fast in politics. We were talking about this yesterday on the show. I was, I was sitting with a friend of mine. My friend says, did you ever think that, that transing the kids would be the issue? Did you ever think that whether or not you can chop a guy's genitals off and pretend that he's a lady, that that would be the big issue we're all talking about in 2023? Back in 2008, Clinton and Obama were both running on marriage being the sacred union between a man and a woman. They were mocking the notion of same-sex marriage. Now we're at the point where we say, should we trans the five-year-olds? Should we wait till they turn six or seven? And I said to my friend, things change very fast. Very, very fast. And this is depressing because of the way that things have degraded so quickly in the United States. But this should offer a little glimmer of hope to conservatives here. There's a line from Cardinal Manning who says, there is a day to come that will challenge the confident judgments of men. There are so many people who say the conservatives are finished. Progressive, liberal society has won. We've reached the end of history. 99% chance that Donald Trump doesn't win in 2016. You hear, you hear this stuff all the time. And then what happens? Then things can change very, very quickly. Speaking of great changes, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis down there in Florida has expanded the don't say gay so-called bill. The conservatives were defending it, calling it the wait till eight bill. It was a bill that said that in elementary schools, teachers can't trans the kids until the fourth grade. They can't start preaching transgenderism in the classroom from kindergarten through third grade. It seems reasonable enough, but it seemed kind of weak, didn't it? I'm not knocking DeSantis. He did what he felt he had the political capital to do at the moment. But I thought, this is it. This is where the fight, this is the reason I gave my CPAC speech. I said, the fight over transgenderism now is third grade versus fourth grade. Give me a break. Give me a break. Transgenderism is just false. It shouldn't be taught anywhere. It shouldn't be tolerated as a, as a matter of public life. It's a false anthropology. And I strongly encouraged conservative politicians to take a much tougher stance on it to not, not feel like we had to be backed in this corner, but to go on the offense because the American people are on our side. According to Pew Research, 60% of Americans believe that gender is determined by biological sex. And though that number should be higher, the number is up from 2021. Just a couple of years ago, the number was 56%. Uh, back in 2017, the number was 54%. So the major, clear majority of Americans are on our side on transgenderism, period. Not just for the kids, but the whole thing. And that number is increasing. So now's the time to move. And that's what Ron DeSantis is doing. Uh, his administration has expanded the so-called don't say gay bill and said, okay, we're not going to teach transgenderism anywhere, K through 12. Great stuff, Governor DeSantis. Love to see that. And he's come out strong. He was just being interviewed by Benny Johnson, and he, he was asked about transgenderism broadly. Here's, here's the governor's line. Some of this is, yes, it's taking away opportunities in athletics and some other stuff, and that's really, really important. But I think there's also just the issue of, are we going to be a society based on truth, or are we going to be a society based on deceit? And if you take a man and they dress up as a woman and you tell me I have to accept that they're a woman, then you're asking me to be complicit in a lie. And I just refuse to do that. So we've got to tell the truth. Uh, I think, you know, the truth will set you free. And let's just be honest about what's going on here. Love this. Great stuff. I, I wish if I had a moving camera, I would give up and give Governor DeSantis a standing ovation for saying this. This is the line every Republican running for president. Every Republican running for office should adopt this. 
Transgenderism is not about whether to pump cross-sex hormones into seven-year-olds versus eight-year-olds. Transgenderism is either entirely true or entirely false. There are some political issues where you can have a nice conciliatory middle ground, like on taxes or immigration. Well, I want to take in 2 million immigrants. I want to take in no immigrants. Okay, let's take in 500,000. Okay, I want tax rates to be 30%. I want them to be 25%. Okay, we'll meet at 27. Certain issues you can't meet in the middle because they're mutually exclusive. They're, They're mutually contradictory options. If transgenderism is true at all for anybody in society at any age, and then we let those men go into the women's bathroom, then that means women's bathrooms cease to exist. The very concept of a bathroom only for women ceases to exist. And I use the bathrooms because they're so evocative, but it's true of all the rights and privileges of women in society as women. The moment you entertain transgenderism at all for even one single person, you obliterate the category of women and the rights that they have traditionally had for all of human history, certainly for the history of our civilization. So you can't try to find a middle ground here. You'll split the baby. It'll be no good for anybody. You got to come out and say, are we going to be a society based on truth or a society based on cynicism? The cynicism of Pontius Pilate who says, what is truth? A society that ignores the truth. That society is not going to do very well. The society based on truth will So great stuff, great stuff here from Governor DeSantis. Hope to see more of it from all the other Republicans. Now, when when we talk about these basic things, very often it's not on TV, it's not even on social media. It's, It's often with our friends and our family and our communities, just hanging out, having a nice time during the summer, taking that grill pill, okay? And when you want to make sure that you have propane to grill for your friends, you gotta check out Cinch. Right now, go to cinch.com, use promo code Knowles. The weather is warming up over here in Nashville. Do you know what that means? It's grilling season. Time to take that grill pill, baby. And I could not be more excited about backyard gatherings this summer. But the last thing you're going to want to do when you've got all your friends coming over for a barbecue is drive around worrying about where to refill the propane tank. That is where Cinch comes in clutch. Cinch is a propane grill tank delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule and requires no long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. Whether you're grilling for the game, camping with your family, or lighting up your patio heaters on a cold night, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment. Go online to cinch.com. Download their app to order. New customers can get their first tank exchange for just $10 with promo code Knowles. Go to cinch.com or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Knowles to get your first tank exchange for just $10. C-Y-N-C-H.com, promo code Knowles. This is a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Cinch.com slash offer for details. My favorite comment yesterday is from Michael Popescu, who says, my coworkers are wondering why I'm dying laughing after that trans slenderism line. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> that, was, that occurred to me yesterday while we were discussing the uh, public health scourge of fat phobia, according to that viral TikToker. And I said we had to move from transgenderism to discussing trans slenderism. I don't think it's an original phrase. I'm sure I saw that on a meme somewhere. But whoever said it, brilliant stuff, and I'm more than happy to popularize this new, very important term. Okay, speaking of really weird, obviously sexual stuff, there's a Washington middle school. I have to give a shout out 
to Ollie London for, for finding this. A middle school in Washington that was holding a competition. And it was a competition not only between students and not only between staff members, but between students and staff members sometimes competing against each other. And the competition was you would squirt a little bit of whipped cream on a pane of glass on either side of a pane of glass. And you'd have one person on one side and one person on the other. And then they would lick the cream exactly opposite one another. Yeah. What? All right, that's actually that's enough. I've seen. It. I, I've I've now. I hadn't hadn't seen the video. I just saw the report on it and had our editors pull the clip. But that's enough. I think I get it. How do you watch that video? How do you even hear about this story and conclude that this isn't a weird sex thing for whoever thought it up? I I don't see how. One, I guess the silver lining in the storm cloud is glad to see that COVID is over in the schools. Glad to see that now, not only are we allowed to meet with one another, but we're allowed to just lick panes of glass and then swap out the students and the teachers, and then they lick all the same panes of glass. And I'm glad that that's over. But two, in in what world is this acceptable? I'll tell you the world that this is acceptable in. This is acceptable at a weird party in college. (laughs) that's put on probably in some frat house basement where everyone is just kind of giggling and they're all being a little bit naughty and tee hee hee, are you going to lick the whipped cream off the glass or whatever? Okay, that's where I would expect to see a game like this. Just a, a more licentious version of spin the bottle or something, okay? I, that kind of a game makes sense to me in that kind of environment. I'm not saying I'm encouraging it or anything like that, but I get it there. That kind of a game very much does not make sense in a middle school. This is one of the more nuanced conservative points on the whole drag queen story hour discussion and debate. It's a point that Jonathan Peugeot has alluded to as well. If you tell me that we have a society in which in some dark alleyway in the bad part of town with the red lights, there's a cabaret that puts on weird drag shows for guys who show their ID and, and pay some money to get in and they're kind of embarrassed by it, but whatever, it's some weird quirk that they have. I get that. I'm not recommending that. I'm not saying that's a great thing that society should embrace, but okay, I get that. But the moment that you take that fringe, bizarre, shameful activity and you put that in the very center of society. You take it away from that side street, you put it in the public square, right in the middle. You put it on TV, you put it in the the elementary school classroom. Then things have gotten really strange. And and the way that uh, Jonathan Peugeot alludes to this is, is he says, if you look at medieval manuscripts or if you look at medieval and Gothic cathedrals, You'll see gargoyles and, and, and all sorts of eccentric things on the fringes, on the outside, in the corners of the cathedral and of the manuscript. Elves with horns and weird sort of genitals doing all sorts of silly, mischievous things. You'll see that on the, on the fringes. Well, there are fringes to society. 
But when you put the things that are supposed to be on the fringes at the center of society, then you invert your standards. Then society gets to be really, really weird. I would recommend that the school investigate whoever came up with this idea. Because while it might seem like weird, basically innocent kind of fun to some people, whoever proposed and uh, permitted this kind of a game to go on is definitely a creep. There's just no way about it. Okay. Now, getting back to 2024 and the DeSantis of of it all for a second, I just would like to establish at the outset, I've said from the beginning, I do not, as a rule, make endorsements in primary campaigns. I don't think that's my job. And especially in 2024, I think we're in uncharted territory in terms of a a defeated Republican, well, a reportedly defeated Republican president who is then running for re-election. And you've got a strong Republican governor coming there, but you've got a big split in the GOP between the old kind of liberal way of doing things, the squishy way of doing things, and this new insurgent, muscular, assertive, more nationally focused, more populist, more virtue-minded rather than libertarian-minded kind of conservatism. And so I, I think we ought to let the thing play out. I love Donald Trump. He's the best president of my lifetime. I just think he's terrific. And I think he offered a real alternative to a lot of the squishy Republican policies of the past. Because of the Trump movement, you saw governors like Ron DeSantis come up. And Ron DeSantis has done a terrific job in Florida. So Ron DeSantis now is making the argument, I'm younger, I'm, I'm, I get what's going on here, I don't have the baggage that Trump does. So he's making his play. And they're, they're both making the play for the same kind of campaign. And then there are a lot of other people running for president as well. So I'm just putting this out at the front. I know there are a lot of pundits who say, I'm only for DeSantis. I'm totally on the DeSantis train. Or they'll say, DeSantis is a total establishment, squish, hack, neocon, or whatever things are saying because they're on the Trump train. And here I am. Here I am, the, the lone Republican, saying, this is a primary. Let's recognize that Trump's the best president in our lifetimes. Let's recognize that DeSantis has done a great job as governor. Let's recognize these are big boys. They got thick skin. They know how to make it through an election. They can run for an office, and we'll let the process play out. So one of the people who's now coming out in favor of DeSantis, as the politicians are going to do now, you're going to increasingly see more and more endorsements among the electeds, is Chip Roy, who's a great member of Congress, a former chief of staff to Ted Cruz. I'm pretty sure he was Ted's chief of staff, now a member of Congress in his own right. And he says, I love Trump, but I'm endorsing DeSantis. Look, I was a uh, strong supporter of Senator Ted Cruz in 2016 in the primary. Yeah. Uh, got, got behind President Trump uh, once we uh, chose him as the nominee on May 3rd of that year. I remember it well. This time I'm supporting Ron DeSantis. I'll support the Republican nominee no matter what. I'm a strong supporter of the America First agenda. But look, I, I, I put out in my statement, I think it's time to have someone who's not a baby boomer, somebody who can serve for two terms that we know we can get behind to root out all the corruption in this town and beat the swamp that uh, President Trump so ably started uh, when he came in in 2016. And look, Governor DeSantis has an enormously successful record, and he just won one re-election by a million and a half votes. He won 62% of Hispanic voters, 50 per, 50% of single females. They have massive job growth, great economy. He's taken on the education establishment. He's taken on the corporate establishment with Disney. And so I just think it's time we have someone that we can 
take a new generation into town and uh, we can kind of build on what President Trump started. And Governor DeSantis is a great guy to get behind to do that. Okay. Very well articulated endorsement. What's interesting to me is not that he picked DeSantis over Trump or anything like that. What's most interesting to me is how temperate this endorsement was, how polite this endorsement was. And I think you're going to see a lot of these kinds of endorsements, especially from the serious people, which is, I love Trump, but I think DeSantis is better for the moment. Or contrary to that, I love DeSantis, he's a good governor, but I think Trump is better for the moment. That, and there are other candidates as well. Our, our friend Larry Elder just announced that he's going to run for president. Obviously, we've had Vivek on the show before. We've had Nikki Haley on the show before. There are other people who are, who are running, and they very possibly will have moments in the race. And who knows? They could maybe take the whole thing. All the Republicans now that I talk to, they're a little bit upset because they say, Ah, oh, I just wish DeSantis would wait his turn. Ah, oh, now it's going to be a mean primary. Or contrary to say, I just, oh, I wish Trump would get out of the way. Oh, and just give it to DeSantis. When you've got endorsements that say, I love this guy, but I'm giving this other one the slight edge, that's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have that we have strong GOP candidates who are moving the party in the right direction on policy. Can we be happy with that? Conservatives, we always want to be so doer. You know, we always want to say, oh, the world is ending. It's all, it's all over. We've lost everything. Our problem right now in 2024 is that we've got two candidates who are too good, who we like too much. And, and more than that, actually, because as you know, we're, I think I'm going to try to interview all of the, all of the Republican candidates. We've got more than that. DeSantis and Trump are the two far and away at the top of the polls right now. But we've got lots of candidates who are great. I'm looking down at my iPad with the member chat. People love the bake. People love, people are saying, oh, Larry Elder just announced. So there's a lot of great candidates. Take the win, guys. Let the process play out. See who's the toughest one. See who's the best one. And we go on and we try to undo the rigging of elections by the Democrats. And we try to own the libs. Sounds, sounds like a plan to me. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed? Maybe a better question to ask is, when was the last time you thought about the meaning of prayer? Many of us see prayer as a way of petitioning God for something. But as with all things concerning God, there is more to it than that. That is the way Ben describes it in the latest episode of Exodus, the fantastic series from Jordan Peterson. The idea of, of prayer that, that you're talking about is obviously a lot more meaningful because it's really not about changing God's mind. It's about changing who you are, and thus God naturally responds to you differently because you're not the person that you were before you prayed. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the verb to, to pray in Hebrew is actually in the reflexive tense, right? Lahit palel, mm-hmm. right? Which is supposed to, the idea is that it's supposed to be something that acts on you. The prayer is supposed right, to act right. on you. It's not supposed to be something where you're attempting to pry an answer out of God. Ben and Jordan are joined by a group of esteemed scholars, theologians, and artists for an in-depth discussion on one of the wonderful, most important books ever written in the actual full most important book ever written, the Bible. It is every bit as illuminating as you would hope. New episodes are coming online every week exclusively for Daily Wire Plus members. Join out dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Exodus. And now, finally, finally, we've arrived at my favorite time of the week, when I get to hear from you in the mailbag, the mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hello, Mr. Knowles. It is Slap My Bass once again, and I'm coming to you with a situational question. Let's call it, am I the Democrat? So I have been asked to travel for work about three states away from where I live, 
and it happens to fall on the same weekend as my cousin's wedding. Now, I had been asked to travel for work months prior to being invited to the wedding, and I've already declined going to my cousin's wedding because I had been asked to work, and naturally my family is extremely upset. They are already not talking to me. They are holding it against me, but at the same time, too, I'm on the idea that it's first come, first serve. So my question to you is, am I the Democrat for accepting to take a business trip to work prior to going to a family event, or should I have canceled the business trip, explained to my work that this is a family event that I need to attend? Your input would be very greatly appreciated. Thanks. No, you're right. Your family's wrong. The only caveat is, are you that close with your cousin? Are you in the wedding party? Are you the best man? I mean, maybe in that case, there's an argument to say, all right, I've got to ditch this work trip to go to the wedding. But if your cousin is your cousin, and so your family, you love your family, but you know, you're not roommates or anything like that, then no, you've got to work. That's okay. It's, it's, the families that I have seen work best are the families who love each other unconditionally, love spending time together, but don't feel the need to spend all the time together, that don't constantly put these kind of guilt trips on people. That's, that's not, not good. You're a man. You've got to work. It's nice to go to your cousin's wedding, but you've agreed to take on this responsibility for your job, and that's what you're supposed to do. Are you kidding? Are you the Democrat? Give me a break. No, I don't think so, Buster. That's, you can, you know, if it's your brother's wedding, I don't know if you, but we need to use prudence here, okay? We need to recognize there are gradations of importance. Next question. Hello, Michael. You have had quite an impact on my 20-year-old son, And for he and I to bond, we listen to your show together Mm. and we watch it as well sometimes. I appreciate your conservative approach and the Daily Wire influence in general. And I enjoy listening and watching with my son. I am a dental hygienist and I was just curious how often you see your dental hygienist. If you go every six months, because you have an impressive set of teeth. Hmm. I can see that good oral care must be important to you. Um, so how often do you see your dental hygienist? Never. I never go to the dentist. I don't have a dentist in Tennessee. I, I'm honored. I, I feared you were going to say, Michael, I'm a dental hygienist and you need to go in for emergency reconstructive surgery, especially because I drink coffee and dark liquor and red wine. I smoke cigars. I, you would, but do you know what I do? I use an electric toothbrush. Right? So they get nice and pearly white. I don't know. Maybe it's good genes. I don't know what it is, but thank you. And you're making, now you're making me think I need to go to the dentist. It's like when you do go to the dentist and then the dentist or the dental hygienist says, hey, how often are you flossing? When was the last time you flossed? And a lot of people say, I don't know. The last time you did it probably was the last time I flossed. I don't know. Every so often. And even when you do floss, you know, they say, oh, you're not doing it right. And however you do it, you end up, you're not doing it right. So no, I haven't gone, but you've, you've guilted me into thinking I probably should. Maybe you'll be my dental hygienist. I don't know where you're based, but 
But you, I can tell you are very based. So maybe I'll have to look into that. Next question. Hey, Michael. So my wife and I have been together for about five years. We have a 14-month-old daughter, and my wife is eight months pregnant. Uh, so my question is, my mom is a very difficult person. She's not respecting our rules. Uh, my parents actually had to leave their church because my mom got in a huge fight with their pastor. Um, I've had about half a dozen talks and we even had a big three hour sit down where I laid out certain rules, but she's still ignoring our wishes and doing things behind her back with our daughter. So at this point, it feels like distance is probably our best option. However, my dad is 77. So we're not sure how much time we have left with him. Um, do you have any suggestions or perspectives that I'm missing? I appreciate it. Thanks. First of all, these days, 77, you're a young man. 77 is middle age these days. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you have time, but you, you never know. You never know. Uh, yes. Some distance would be appropriate probably if your mother is doing things with your children that you don't approve of and you're not comfortable with and educating them in a way that you're not comfortable with, then you actually have an obligation to, to make sure that you run interference there and moderate that relationship. But distance doesn't mean you, you never see your parents or anything like that. It just might mean that you don't let your mom take the kids alone to do whatever they do that you're uncomfortable with. Distance might mean that Maybe the, the girls go out to lunch with grandpa instead of with grandma on Saturday afternoon. Distance might mean that you go over and say hey to everybody for an hour instead of spending three days with them. It, distance doesn't have to be this dramatic kind of blow up sort of thing. You just have to be, you just have to be prudent. You just have to exercise your judgment and, and get the message across to your mother in a loving way. You owe your mother love and respect. And uh, that said, if your mother is behaving in a way that is irrational, you have an obligation to protect your children and your family from the consequences of that irrational and destructive behavior. So you, you've, it's sort of like if you're going to punish a child. When you lay out the punishment for your child, you should not be angry while you do it. You should do it in a way that is level-headed and so that you are punishing your child for the benefit of that child and for the purpose of justice, not as a way of venting your emotions or getting back or, or feeling good or something like that. Same thing with your mother. Don't, you don't need to blow up with your mother on the phone and start yelling and screaming. You just have to say, look, I, mom, here's, this is right and here's wrong and I know you're going through something right now, but, but I've got to be responsible here and just make sure you can't do that to my kid and you can't lie to me about, I don't, I, I, again, I don't know exactly what the circumstance is, but you can't lie to me about where you're taking the children or what you're teaching them or whatever. So we're going to just have to put some more safeguards in place here so that you don't do that, mom. Nothing against you, but we have a responsibility to our family. Okay, next question. Hey, Michael, you recently were talking with Tim Pool about transgenderism, and Tim Pool brought up the idea of what if we just create new sports leagues just for transgenders and other such proposals with bathrooms and things like that so that we can get around them invading women's spaces. I think this is a really bad idea. I think it's a dangerous half measure uh, for one very simple reason. I'd like to get your thoughts. Transgenderism, just like any other leftist movement, is all about transgressing traditional norms. And if they don't have those traditional norms to transgress, they will claim to be oppressed. 
The whole point is to live under traditional society, live with traditional society without having to abide by its rules. So what they do is they corrupt traditional norms, they retain their appearance and their shell, and they get rid of their substance and imperatives. Um, that is all of leftism. So they will claim to be oppressed if they don't have these spaces, traditional spaces to invade. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. A really great point. And even more basically, the reason that, well, let's just add three more bathrooms or let's just build 10 more sports leagues is a bad idea is because it buys into the leftist, the liberal uh, desire to transcend all limits. Conservatives recognize that society, human life, everything in this finite world necessarily has limits and is defined by its limits. And the liberals, include the progressive liberals and the classical liberals and all the kinds of liberals, want to liberate themselves from all of those limits. But when we liberate ourselves from all of our limits, we destroy ourselves. We're left with nothing. When you liberate yourself from the limits of your own body and biology, you kill yourself, either in the figurative way, the ritual way of the transgender transition, which leaves, leaves one's identity as a dead name. That's literally how they refer to it. Or literally in the, the, the kind of uh, Robin Williams suicide, the Oscars tweets out, Jeannie, you're free. This idea that if you kill yourself, you're somehow liberating yourself from the constraints of, of the physical world. You see this in a lot of the arguments over euthanasia right now. And med- quote unquote euthanasia, medically assisted dying. Uh, so that, that's wrong. The idea that, well, the problem is just we have too many limits on bathrooms. Let's just add a new one and a new one and a new one. No. Men and women are different. The difference between men and women defines society. That limit defines society, just as our national border defines the limit of our nation. And so we're going to recognize that limit. We're going to celebrate that limit. That's what makes us us, just as the meter in the rhyme scheme makes the sonnet the sonnet, without which it becomes slam poetry, which is the death of art. No, limits are good. Embrace them. Embrace the no. No is a very liberating word. Now, we've got a lot to get to. Mr. Davies tells me, I come into the office today. I, am, I haven't slept all week. I've been traveling all over the country. I'm, I'm, I'm bleary-eyed, okay? And Mr. Davies says, Michael, because I, Ben Davies, have screwed up member blocks so much this week by not giving you your beloved iPad, we're going to fit in like three member blocks in one today. I'm very excited for that. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member at dailywire.com slash Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.